This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Well, hello there, Playing Dead listeners. Here's our special bonus episode, as promised. This was live on the main stage at LA Comic-Con in December of 2022. It was an awesome day, and our guest was the incredible actor, Mr. Keith David, star of such films as The Thing, They Live, Dr. Facilier and the Princess and the Frog. Nope. So many great, great performances. First, I just wanted to take a moment to thank everyone at Lionsgate Sound, the incredible team, and all you listeners for being part of the first season of Playing Dead. It's been quite a ride. Now, at the start of this episode, you might hear a little giggle, Twitter, different noises coming from the stage. Well, I surprised Keith with a little skit where I put on a pair of sunglasses, yelled at him to put on a pair of sunglasses, and uh, a fun little moment ensued. Wink, wink, for those of you who love They Live. Anyway, without further ado, here is live at LA Comic-Con, playing dead with the incredible Keith David. Enjoy. David from The Thing and Nope. Give it up for The Thing and Nope, Keith David. Come on now, make some noise. We all know these movies. You're going to join Keith David for a live recording of the brand new podcast series from Lionsgate Sound, Playing Dead. And here to get us started is Playing Dead's host, Michael Nathanson. Give him a warm Comic-Con welcome. Yo, what's up, Comic-Con? that theme song. Hey, everybody, come on, let's give it up. Come on, come on, let me hear you. How you guys doing today? Thanks for joining us. I am Michael Nathanson, and we are here to bring you a very special live recording. This is a live recording of an episode of our brand new podcast from Lionsgate Sound, Playing Dead, available now, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, wherever you get them. So excited to be here with you all to introduce one of the greatest actors of all time. He's been in so many amazing movies. He's been so much amazing TV. Give it up for the incomparable Mr. Silver Throat himself, Keith David. What's happening? Hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. Can we cut the music? Let's cut the music. Let's cut the music. We just need to make sure before, you know, we start this. Just check them out. Make sure they're okay. No, I'm not putting that shit on. I'm not, no, 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 no. Put them on! How we don't play that shit? Put them on! Put on the glasses! Thanks, Keith. Wait, I'll put mine on too. Hold on, hold on. Oh, shit! Oh, Keith! <laughs> oh, shit! Uh, are you kidding me? <laughs> you guys are good. Ah, uh, what a dork. You guys, this is an amazing thrill for all of us to have Keith here to talk about life and death, 
So Keith. Keith! Yo. Come on! Come on! Woo! Yes! So as we like to do on our show, we talk to actors, creators about what it means to play dead. What is that like? What is it like to take on a project, you know you're gonna die, no, none of us know what it's like to die, right? Or what happens in that moment. We can't really report back. So as an actor, as, a, as an artist, how do you prepare? How do you handle a death scene? Well, it all depends on how it's written. Is it supposed to be, you know, sentimental? You know, do we care about the guy? You know, I, I, I love those moments when it really is... Uh, you know, it, it, you know, supposed to be, you know, somewhat touching because I know I, a friend of mine, his mother died in his arms and he talked about the drama of life, watching her take her last breath and what's that like? You know, now I've never seen anybody expire. Uh, you know, when my own mother died, I thought, God, I wish, I, I wish that I was, I wanted to be there so bad, as if my being there would have stopped her from dying. Now, that ain't true, because God didn't ask me and neither did she, you know. Um, but there's something about, especially when we see it well played, it's a wonderful moment because you care about that life. I mean, when, you know, it makes very real to me that every life on the planet, everyone in this room today, means something to somebody. The world is, would not be the same without you. And, this, and your passing through this life is going to mean something to somebody at some point. And it's, uh, it's kind of wonderful to get, get to explore that, whatever that is. When you're playing that scene, whatever it may be, even if it's a science fiction epic, or if it's something you know, more true to life. What goes through your mind in that moment when your character is supposed to die? Do you have a thought? Do you Don't thought breathe and let the camera catch me. <laughs> been, been there. <laughs> Amazing. Yeah. Now, obviously, there's so many deaths we could talk about in your career, so many amazing performances, so many truly like bloody, weird, fucked up movies that you died in. So I think only appropriate to start with The Princess and the Frog. <laughs> Give it up for The Princess and the Frog, please. My personal favorite Disney movie. My kids' personal favorite Disney movie. Soon to be a rethemed Splash Mountain extravaganza. Right. So you are Dr. Facilier. Yes, sir. I'm just, that's like the French guy. I just, I speak um, actor French, just under my breath. Um, so, you know, unique to the world of death on screen, you're an animated character who dies. So you're in a voiceover booth. You're working on this thing for God knows how long. It's a Disney movie, so I'm sure they've got you tied to that booth for a year or so. What is it like preparing to die as an animated character? And what is that, what is that journey? Can you tell us a little about the journey of Dr. Facilier well, and I where mean, he ends up? It was fun for me because 
it's, it's all the lead up. He keeps saying, you know, we start, he starts out saying, I have friends on the other side, you know. And so we're waiting for my friends to act friendly. I mean, my friends don't treat me badly. And when he finds out that, you know, since he screwed up so badly, well, his friends have abandoned him. And so what is that like? You know, you, know, you, have, you, have, to, you have to build up the um, belief of that friendship. So when you see it betrayed, it's a, it, it, you know, he falls from a very high place. He really believes that these... Oh, he's not, you know, it's like, give me one more chance. It's not going to, you know, I, 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 I haven't finished yet. I, I still have other ideas, you know, I mean, that's... And then they drag you, they dr So, I mean, essentially, you're in the voiceover booth, you're imagining these, they have an anim... Or are you doing it to the animation at that point? No. no. So you're imagining what these creatures look like, what these drawings look like, whatever it is, what the, what the scenery looks like, and that moment where they're dragging you, and you're clawing your way through that cemetery and they suck you into that other world that what is it the spirit world yeah um well it t to me it reminded me of um uh, I'm, I'm a really old movie buff anyone in the room know a movie called angels with dirty faces you, you remember the moment when they tell him that his mother dies in the prison and he's like, ah, 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 and he goes crazy. Yeah. You know, well, that's, it, it, it reminded me of that moment. It's like, no, don't, you know, I don't want to die. I don't want, you know, I mean, you know, that's. So, I mean, it's, it's as real as anything else. You're still channeling the same emotions, the same, yeah, what, mean, whatever you're going to bring to that I mean, moment. you know, if I were playing it live action, I wouldn't play it any differently. You play it just. You would just be seeing me, you know. Yeah, that's right. And then you end up with that <laughs> that horrified face on the tombstone. <laughs> Man, that is a way. That is a that is a way to go out. Well, think of uh, um, a picture of Dorian Gray. Anybody know that movie? Picture of Dorian Gray. Remember, yeah, you give it up for a picture of Dorian the, Gray. You Come remember on. the painting in the closet? Yeah. You know. There's a picture of you, instead of aging, dying <laughs> yeah. on that tombstone. I love it. I love it. Um, so let's just take it back a little bit, a few years before then. So you're a stage actor by training. Julia. I've been called worse, but yes. Yeah, I'm sorry. Well, listen, you're in good company here. That's where I come from, too, unfortunately. Um, so your first big, big movie role was... The Thing. John Carpenter's The Thing. By a little-known director named John Carpenter, The Thing. My personal favorite horror movie. Um, and you played Childs. Yes. Now, I just want to know a little bit about how did you meet Carpenter? Was it an audition? Was it like, how did he find you? How did that whole process take place? It was an audition, of course. I met, um, I first met with David Foster. Um... And then uh, he invited me to come back and read, uh, I, you know. At that time, I mean, all the actors in New York, you know, this was, it was 40 years ago. So 40 years lot, ago this year? 40, 40 years 40. ago this year. Wow. Yeah. 
there were a couple of rounds of auditions, so I read with a couple of you know a couple of people. And it was it was really it was really great, but I believe. I don't, I don't really know this for sure, for sure. But I think what happened was uh, Roger Mosley was going to get the part. And I think Roger would have been a great child as well. But at the same time that the thing uh, was casting, he also, he got cast in Magnum P.I. So... He took Magnum P.I., which opened up a spot that I got. So I, every time I see him, I say, he just passed away. But every time I see him, I say, hey, man, thank you. Thank you. Well, that's funny, because Tom Selleck didn't do Indiana Jones, right? Isn't that the story? Right. He didn't do yeah. Indiana Jones because of Magnum P.I. So both right. of those guys gave up some pretty iconic roles. For some more, for, for another iconic role. For some good role. money. For some good money over a number of years. And, a, and <laughs> such an iconic role that they've rebooted, and it's doing really well. Yeah, true enough. That movie is full of iconic deaths. It's literally like one disgusting, fucked up, iconic death after another. And it's like, it's such a pantheon of like incredible actors. Like they, oh, great I mean, actors. like the greatest character actors of a generation were in, of multiple, multiple generations were in that movie. What was it like to work with those guys and, and watching them expire one after the other? <laughs> the thing that I liked uh, about the thing the most was as everybody got uh, eaten up or killed, whatever it was, you got to care about each character. So you, you, you were a bit invested in everybody. So when, when the first guy dies, you go, oh, not him, oh, you know. And so you got to care about the people. And that was, that, that, you know, was a great tribute to the writer. Uh, also, John, for the, the way he crafted the story, but, all, but the actors, you know, what they brought to the table so that they made you care about them. And it's funny because it's such a condensed story, too. It's not like there's all this buildup with all these characters. You don't get to know them for so long, but they are fully realized human beings. And so yes, I, when, that was you a are, great thing. when you're working with these guys, was it, did you guys like do any sort of isolation kind of hangout where they put you in a place to sort of be alone in a space together for a while to get uh, no, the relationships going? No, not on that going? movie, but um, something that um, I've only had one other experience like it and we rehearsed for two weeks we actually sat around the table reading the reading the script for two weeks fixing this fixing that and as i remember charlie hallahan richard masser and kirk they were the and maybe david clennon they were the sort of sci-fi buffs. They really, you know, that was their genre that they, that they were very thoroughly versed in. So whenever we came across uh, uh, a hole, you know, a sort of hitch in the giddy-up as far as what we believe and what we don't believe, you know, we would address. Finally, after two weeks, John said, okay, fellas, that's enough. We're not, you know, we're not going to fix anything else. This is the script we're going to shoot. Okay. And that's what we did. Amazing. You've been asked this question an annoying number of times, and we had a conversation about this. Can you just tell people what that ending is really all about? 
Were you breathing or were you not breathing? Please tell them definitively so they can all hear it. Well, in the realm of was I breathing, is that a real question? I mean, come Was on. the thing breathing or was child's breathing? I saw smoke coming out I of your mouth. I wouldn't know. But, you know, everybody asks that question and they base it on the fact that there's no breath coming out of my mouth, right? Is that, is that, that's the basis for that question, correct? Now, how many of you have ever camped out? Oh, there's a lot of hands. How many of you have ever camped out in the wintertime when it was cold as hell? Now, you know, when it's that cold and damp, the condensation will form that smoke in front of your face, right? Now, if you've ever sat in front of a fire and the wind shifts in your direction, there's no smoke because there's too much heat for the smoke to come out. It's science, But no one people. ever thinks about that. I mean, we're sitting outside, the wind is shifting, we're in Antarctica, it is cold as hell, and we're sitting in front of a fire. When the wind shifts, there's no smoke coming out of my mouth. So, is it a monster? Well, I don't think so, but you, you saw it, you can believe whatever you like. Oh man, he just left it open again. <laughs> I, thought, I thought we were getting the answer. I just know it, it wasn't me. But well, if it was me, I wouldn't know it, right? I think at that point, the monster really got to understand how to be human, so it was pretty convincing if it was. I guess we'll never know. Or will we? You'll just have to go watch it again. I think you should go Draw watch it again. Draw your own conclusion. And by the way, if you get a chance to watch it on the big screen, there's nothing scarier. It is the greatest horror movie ever made. That's just my two cents. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. So that starts your journey with John Carpenter. Um, little pit stop in a movie called Platoon. Now, we don't see you die in Platoon. Because I don't die. I know. You're one of the only people who doesn't die in that Yo! movie. You make it home. You take that freedom bird home. <laughs> one of my, one, it's such an iconic performance. Just tell us a little bit about like, the training. I know you did like, a ton of training. You watch people die in that, in that movie, right and left. And you know that kind of death is as realistic as it gets. It's, it's, it's war, it's young men dying for some kind of cause that maybe doesn't even exist. Just tell us a little bit about what that role well, and what that movie meant to you. You know, after, when the thing came out, you know, it didn't, it didn't uh, get critical acclaim. The critics did not love it. E.T. had come out and E.T. sort of eclipsed 
all the uh, sci-fi genre films. Uh, Poltergeist was out, and the critics, like I said, did, did, did not love it. So only since then, I mean, right now, we, I mean, we're, we're still here 40 years later talking about it because it was such a good movie, but it wasn't a, at the time, you know. And I thought, I had gotten some honorable mention, so I thought, wow, maybe I'm going to have a life in the movies. Well, I didn't work again after the thing for four years. It took four years for me to get cast in another movie. That movie was Platoon. To wait but for since, a movie, a good movie to yeah. wait for. Well, you know, since, since Platoon, uh, which is now 30-something years old, 36? 36, yeah. Um, I've done at least one film a year every, every year since then. So that was... That was good. That was, that, it was worth the wait. And then, and then John calls you to work on They Live, and I, I believe I read that yeah. he was writing it with you in mind to play Frank. That's what he said, yeah. He so, called me up. Tell us a little bit about that process. And, and a movie in they, they Live, obviously, more resonant today than ever. I think that They Live is more, much more significant today than it was back in 88. And uh, if you look closely, uh, although he wasn't in the political running, the character that was played by Buck Flower looks like Donald Trump. <laughs> With all the bling, you know, you know. Yeah, I mean, we like to say maybe underneath Donald Trump's skin. And the bad hairdo. Un <laughs> under Trump's skin is the alien, but I think Keith said to me, no, 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 the alien's on the front. Yeah. <laughs> it's, right, it's right up front to, to show you who he is. Um, and, you know, just tell us a little bit about what that movie was like shooting. Tell us about the greatest fight scene in cinematic history, six minutes long, with the great, late, great Rowdy Roddy Piper. Can we give a hand to the great yes. Roddy Piper, who was so phenomenal as Nada in that movie? And just give us, like, what was that like shooting that? I know you guys rehearsed that I forever. mean, it was fantastic, man. I mean, I'm, I'm, getting, I'm getting to fight on camera with Roddy Roddy Piper. I mean, it doesn't get better than that. And he showed me a couple of great moves, so anyone who ever jumps me from behind, I got something for you, you know. Uh, but it was, it was fantastic. I never, I've never felt safer in my life. He never hurt me. I mean, it was, or it, we never got hurt. Once, and it happened, you know, we had, we were about to shoot the, shoot the scene. We rehearsed it for two weeks, another two-week rehearsal. And we had the choreography, you know, really wonderful. Jeff Amato was the uh, fight choreographer. Who also played almost all the aliens, right? They, didn't he yeah. dress him up as almost every single alien? I think he did. Yeah. And um, so we're, you know, preparing. I, I mean, it's, let's say it's Tuesday night. Uh, we're going to shoot. When's we're going to start shooting downtown Wednesday morning. So that night, E.T., came to do an interview with us. And they wanted to see, well, why don't you show us the fight, show us a piece of the fight. And <laughs> this hadn't happened in two weeks, but it gets so hyped up. And you know, that first move is I punch Roddy in the face. <laughs> and I get too close to him and I go, bam, I go, oh shit, And he was like, it's okay, it's okay, come on, come on, come on. Full contact. Yeah. <laughs> But that's the only time that uh, we made any real contact like that. 
Amazing, amazing, yeah. amazing, amazing. Uh, we could talk to you for hours. We don't have hours. I just want to jump real fast to your latest iconic death, Nope. Can we give it up for Nope, please? <laughs> Fucking amazing movie. I've watched it now like six times, and every single time it resonates deeper, and it's more layered, and it's fascinating, and it's scary, and it's beautiful. And Jordan Peele is absolutely he's taken monstrous. the he's taken the baton from Carpenter and all those guys and run with it and made something even deeper and stronger and more resonant that's about an even deeper sense of humanity. It's fascinating. And so you play Otis Senior, and you get killed with a nickel. Now, you've gotten killed by aliens, by guns, the end of They Live, Holly Thompson, direct, direct to the temple, right as you're about to save the world. Boom, done. And then we get Nada, thankfully, helping us out. Right. But in this movie, that movie opens up. I didn't know you were going to die when I saw it in the theaters. I didn't know. I'm like, they killed my, my guy 10 minutes in this, five minutes in this fucking movie. What are you doing? This is Keith David. I want more Keith David. What was that like, getting killed by a nickel of all things? Hey, man, you know, shit happens. <laughs> you know, I mean, it was great fun because I love riding horses, so I got to be on a horse. And, you know, in the realm of why, do you, t why you take a role, why, you know, you know, the choices that you make. I mean, Otis was a, was in a very important part. You know, he's, I mean, he, he kicks off the whole story. I mean, what, you know, his legacy, what he, you know, what he's tried to build and tried to maintain, he's building through his children, have to live through his children. So they, you know, and they're, they're, you know, whether you see it or not, he's constantly in their ear and in their consciousness. Just, you know, his work ethic. And I think that's what is most present because when you're, you know, the, the talk that we have in the barn uh, and the moment, the moment, moments right before he, Otis gets killed. I mean, he's watching it's about legacy. It's about legacy. It's about legacy, yeah. And then that scene in the car with the blood spurting out and you're... Nasty oh, stuff. Nasty. Ah. You're going through all the horses, right? You're naming all your horses right. just, to keep you, just to keep you talking. Trying to keep your mind right. Uh, brutal, brutal, brutal. All right, we asked this of all of our guests at the end of the episode. What, Keith David, is your favorite death that you as a fan have seen on screen in your lifetime of watching movies and TV? Is there a death that comes to mind that had an effect on you? Well, anyone familiar with a movie called The Fighting 69th? It's a James Cagney movie. At the that's, end a, of that's a resounding no, but you're all gonna go home and Google it and watch at it. The, at the end of the movie, uh, Alan Hale Sr., who was a great actor and a, one of my favorite actors, is standing at his deathbed, at, at Cagney's deathbed. And he's like, he tells the sergeant, he says, Sarge, I'm sorry that I was responsible for the, you know, killing your brother. But he, before he died, what he, what he was in the, in the uh, foxhole, with Alan Hale, after two of his brothers had been killed because of him, because of Jerry Plunkett. And they were fighting, it was World War I, they were fighting the Germans, and when the grenade comes into their foxhole, James Cagney 
to save Big Mike, jumps on the grenade and takes one for the team and it, you know, of course it explodes his stomach. So at the end of the movie, and I, I wept every time I see this movie, at the end of the movie, he's laying there on his deathbed and he says, Mike, I'm sorry. You know, you know, I'm sorry about what happened. And then he dies and he just kind of looks away. And at that moment, Alan Hale says, it chokes me up. He said, I once thought this man was a coward. From now on, whenever I hear the name Plunkett, I'm going to snap to attention and salute. And it's just the most moving moment you could ever see. I mean, I just, it blows my head. It's and beautiful. That's a, it's awesome. And it's a death that resonates with you. And that's how these things are for all of us. We all have these emotional ties to these deaths. And that's beautiful. First of all, let's thank Keith Dave for being here with us today. Beautiful human being, beautiful actor. And as we do on our, on our, I usually wrap up our episodes by reading the eulogy of the characters, but we have the great Keith David himself, so he is going to, we have cards out there, eulogy cards that you can see. The cards, the cards. See the cards. On the back is a QR code. You can go find our podcast, go to Apple, Spotify, all that. On the other side are the eulogies for some of Keith's most dynamic characters. Keith, would you do us the honor, please, of eulogizing some of the greatest characters in cinematic history? This is the Princess and the Frog. With his piercing purple eyes, thin mustache and gape-tooth smile, Dr. Facilier was always willing to help, to lend a helping hand. One of Dr. Facilier's biggest hobbies was collecting dolls, which unnervingly resembled many of the people in New Orleans. Dr. Facilier had many friends, he had so many friends that they constructed a large gravestone featuring doctor, the doctor's face, which they were astonishingly, astonishingly able to erect on the very night he died. From Nope, Otis Hayward Sr. owned and operated Hayward Hollywood Horses, the only black-owned horse training operation in Hollywood. Unfortunately, in recent years, work for horse trainers began to take a slow gait. However, just before his death, Otis was set to mount a comeback when he wrangled a gig in an upcoming Bonnie Clayton film. While saddled on his horse, Ghost, Otis died when an errant nickel fell from the sky and punctured his brain. Mr. Childs was a professional mechanic whose fine skills led him to work in the frozen wonderland of Antarctica. Many believe that Mr. Childs died a hero, succumbing to the elements while protecting Outpost 31 from an unknown threat, possibly the Norwegians. Others believe that he was duplicated by a parasitic extraterrestrial life form that could imitate its prey. Although, Childs would be the first person to call that theory some voodoo bullshit. 
Frank Armitage was an honest, kind, and well-built man, always willing to lend a hand. He once gave a murderer his entire week's paycheck instead of his wife and child because, well, some murderers are people too. As a thank you, the murderer repaid Frank by forcing him to wear a pair of off-brand sunglasses. Frank finally decided to stick it to the man when he found out that the man was not a man at all, but an alien. Frank's life ended abruptly, trying to show the world the truth when he was shot by human collaborator, Holly Thompson. Please give it up for the great Keith David. Thank you so much for joining us. Remember, check out that QR code, listen to Playing Dead, our new podcast from Lionsgate Sound, available everywhere. Thank you so much, LA Comic Con! Playing Dead is hosted by Michael Nathanson. Hey, that's me! Produced by Charlie Webster. Written and produced by Jill Marie Hoffman. Location sound by Mark Goldie. Edited by Jackson McLennan. Executive producers Charlie Webster and yours truly, Michael Nathanson. Special thanks to Kyle Epler and Stephen Sletton. Produced by Lionsgate Sound and Magic Scope. Lionsgate Sound, engineered by Pilgrim Media Group. <laughs>